we start a new one today, and this one is called Real Stuff. Real Stuff. And we're going through parables. We're going through different parables that Jesus taught. And what Jesus did oftentimes was he would take something real, just an everyday normal item or a normal uh, scenario or story, and he would then teach from it. And he would teach a very spiritual lesson from it. And I remember being taught as a kid that parables were always made for us to be able to understand more easily. But if you listen in the Gospels and you see what Jesus teaches, he actually taught that sometimes it's to make people dig a little deeper. A lot of times we want things on the really low shelf, right? But we know that the good stuff is always up high. And so sometimes you got to do a little bit of working and climbing. And you got to be able to do a little digging sometimes to get to that good truth. And so we're going to do our best to look at these parables and hopefully find the truth in them. But hopefully that will encourage you to dig down in your Bible. And so if you've got a Bible and you're following along and you get on your smartphone, you can get on Matthew chapter 5. Um, I am going to have to do something different here. Feeling the drum. <laughs> I hope I'm still on the camera. So disappointing for everybody at home if they didn't get to look at me, right? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so they should suffer like you guys too, right? Um, but Matthew chapter five is where we're gonna be doing. But we're gonna first talk about darkness. Um, how many of you like really love the dark? Okay. Um, and this is always the way that I uh, couch that. Because if you say you love the dark, that just means you haven't been in the right dark. That's what I'm saying. Or the wrong dark. Because I guarantee you, no matter how much you like the dark, no matter how much you feel comfortable in it, if you get into the right situation or the wrong situation, and it is the right kind of darkness, it can still give you the creeps. It can still creep you out. Um, anybody ever been to any caverns or anything like that? Uh, I know there's some in the edge of Tennessee that I went to one time, and they take you down this long uh, staircase down below the ground into this cavern. And they bring you in this room that they put doors on either side of this cave underneath the ground. And they say, okay, everybody, you know, make sure all your cell phone lights are off, all that sort of stuff. And they bring you in and they turn off the lights. And I'm telling you, it is the darkest dark I've ever seen in my life. And they say, and it's funny, the guys are, all, guys are always funny. They're joking around. They say, you probably got your hand in front of your face right now. And everybody starts giggling because they got their hand up in front of their face. And you literally cannot see the hand in front of your face, to use that old expression that we use a lot. Um, so darkness is uh, sometimes a good thing if you want to see stars and you want to see comets and you want to see uh, falling shooting stars and all that sort of stuff is good. But there are times that the dark can be really scary. Um, as I said, I had surgery this past week to, to put a screw in my broken wrist. And um, I went through, they completely put me under, which I was kind of surprised about that. I didn't expect that. They tricked me. Um, I may not have done it if I'd known that. But they put me under. Everything went smooth. But they also put a nerve block on my arm. Anybody ever had that? I guess if you're uh, ladies, if you ever had an epidural, I guess it's sort of a similar yeah. thing. And so they put this nerve block on my arm. And so from like 1 at one o'clock that afternoon until about 1 that night, in the middle of the night, I didn't think my arm was attached to my body. It was the weirdest thing. I had the sling on, and like I leaned forward, and my arm would like <coughs> sling on it. And I was like, <laughs> I mean, I could like swing it around. I didn't do that very much, but it fell out a couple times. And I'm laying in bed that night, and I kind of got myself used to it. I got adjusted. I had it up on a pillow. So I'm laying back. I've got it elevated, laying on my chest. And about 3 or 4 in the morning, in the dark, I get woken up by my arm trying to strangle me. That's at least what it seems like because I felt the, uh, my arm had started waking up from here down. 
and I felt my arm sliding up my chest, coming at my face like that. You want to talk about freaking? That is terrifying to be laying in your own bed. First, I'm thinking my wife is about to strangle me. You're going to blame it on the surgery. COVID, right? But, I mean, I'm thinking, and literally, I felt my arm like, it felt like it was crawling because it was just that weird thing where it's half awake, half asleep. And I guess it was sliding, but it felt like literally it was like scurrying up my face. And I was like, ah! And I literally kind of I cried out a little bit. I didn't squeal like a tiny girl. It was a medium-sized girl. Uh, and woke Sherry up. And I, I was just sort of panicked. And then I realized what was going on. So that darkness, that darkness, when your own hand is trying to strangle you, it's kind of scary. And so Jesus teaches a really, really good example of what light can do in darkness. You know, if you turn on a light outside at night, no matter how dark it is, what happens almost instantaneously? What finds that light? Bugs. Bugs find it. Bugs come for that light. They find it no matter where it is, and they tell all their friends. And then if you think about it, if it's dark enough, even a small dim light can be seen for miles and miles and miles if everything around is dark enough. And so what Jesus does in Matthew chapter 5, and he preaches what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And then he tells this. Um, this isn't a parable in the normal sense. It's just an everyday object that he teaches a spiritual lesson on. It's not really a story per se, but there's still a lot we can learn from it. But he teaches what we call the Beatitudes. Blessed are you if you dot, dot, dot. You know, or if you want to, if you grew up here in King James, blessed, right? You say blessed. Blessed or blessed, or if you can, you can uh, translate that word happy. Either way, you translate it happy. Happy you will be. I didn't mean to say that like Yoda, but it happened that way. Happy you will be if you are poor in spirit. Happy you will be if you are fill in the blank of all the different Beatitudes. If you're meek, if you hunger and thirst after righteousness, if you're merciful, all these different things Jesus taught about. And then he goes on to go a little bit deeper into the heart of the matter. Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 14. Read along with me. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, so it could be a little different than your version. It says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. See, what Jesus is teaching us is if you go and you practice all these things that he mentioned earlier in chapter 5, these Beatitudes, then your light will shine. You will put out a light from you, not a, a physical light, but a spiritual light that will wake people up. And it will give people hope. And it will help change people's lives because every single person out here is looking for hope. I mean, am I right? You're right. Every single person, they may not define it as hope, but every single person in this world is looking for hope. And man, I'm here to tell you that this world at times feels hopeless. You know, sometimes it seems like the darkness has won. Am I right? There are people, I don't, there are people, and ultimately there's a force in Satan that wants us to hate each other and be divided and wants each of us to tear each other apart. But we will not allow that to happen if we focus on the love and the light of Jesus Christ. Amen. And we're called to be light. He says very, very clearly that you are the light of the world. And when you practice these things and many others that he taught about in the first part of chapter 5, you will shine. He continues on his Sermon on the mountain. He goes really deep into some other subjects. And he, he teaches sort of like this. He says, the, you've heard the law say X, but I tell you why. I want you to go a step further. He said, you know, about anger. 
He says, you know, don't even, you know, make sure that you don't hate your neighbors. Make sure you love your neighbors. Don't just not hate them and, and not do evil to them, but love them and be kind to them. And so he, he talks about shining our light even more. But what do we do? We look at light, and, you know, when we think about light, you know, we got flashlights, we got all kinds of bright super lights, and, but when you think about an old light, you think about maybe like a lantern like this. Now, this is a bougie old light that my wife got from somewhere, probably Hobby Lobby or something like that. Um, and it's got a, it's probably a scented candle. Um, if you want to sniff it later, it's from Bath and Body Works, and it says it is called Burger Mode. Yeah, there we go. En français. Yeah. Um, but anyway, you got this candle in this thing, and that's sort of what we think of as like an old light. But the, the lights that Jesus would have been talking about, the lamps that Jesus would have been talking about, would have looked more like a bowl. They would look like a bowl that would have been curved up as it was being formed and made little tiny areas, little slots in the corner. Sometimes they would just have one slot. Sometimes they would have two or three or four for you to put wicks in. And in that bowl, they would fill it up with oil, and that wick would draw that, and that would give them a flame. And that was how they lit their house. That was the lamp that Jesus was teaching about. He's saying... You are not to be darkness. You are to be light. You are the light of the world. And then he talks about putting a lamp up on a stand. You don't put it under a basket. That's the kind of bowl he's thinking about. He's thinking about this oil-filled bowl with these wicks in it. And so what do we learn about light real quick? It's not going to take long. The first thing is who. Who do we like? Here's the thing. You and I as the church are called to be collectively the light. But when Jesus said, you are the light of the world, he was talking to us individually. He was talking to us individually as we also come together to make the church. But the reason I say that is because oftentimes we, we can kind of take this attitude of like, okay, the church is the light of the world. So if I'm not doing my part, there's plenty of other lights. Nope. You ever been guilty of that? You may not want to raise your hand, but I've been guilty of that. Amen. I've been guilty of wanting other people to be my light for me. Mm -hmm. But that is not what Jesus is saying. He is saying, you... He, I, I almost feel like he probably kind of looked and made eye contact with some of the people that were there. You are the light of the world. And the church is such an unusual organism. And I say organism. It's not an organization. It's a body. It's a living thing. It's such an unusual organism in that we all come together to make the whole. And so if you aren't doing your part or I'm not doing my part of shining, then the church does not shine the way that it's supposed to. And so Jesus... It's really clear. He says, you are the light of the world. And so the who that's supposed to be shining is, guess who? Me. Me. All of us, right? Every single one of us. So we are the church collectively and shine our lights, but each of us has to shine our own light. So we're not, um, don't believe the line that you as an individual are not responsible for the light. You look at the surrounding verses. You know, and, and don't get too sidetracked. You know, you can go back and read that later. But as Jesus goes on to preach the Sermon on the Mount, he starts talking about anger and how to handle anger. He starts talking about marriage and, and how to handle that. He starts talking about your heart. And I want you to think for just a second. Whose anger can you control? Yours if you're lucky, right? You know, yours if you work hard. Whose marriage can you work on? Yours? You know, who's, um, whose heart can you work on? yours so what jesus is doing is on every single one of these teachings he's talking about individual matters of the heart that you and i need to surrender to god and so therefore when he says you are light he's talking to each and every single one of us this is how you shine your light every single one of us is called to be light all right so that's the who of our light 
we are told to be the light of the world, then where? Where do we shine our light? You see, as believers, we tend to struggle with liking the light. The light is a good thing, right? I mean, there's nothing like, you know, coming when the house is dark and you can't see anything. When you first flip that light on, it's like, oh man, this is awesome. I can see. And you just feel a little bit safer. You feel a little more comfortable. And we forget, though, that there's darkness and there's people in the darkness. And they deserve an opportunity to, to see the light as well, right? Amen. You know, it's not just for us. It's for us to shine in the darkness. And so sometimes we get caught up only shining our light in the light. You know, you think about it. You know, if, if I were to, here, let me show you. See, we even have lights on our phones now, right? All right, so let me turn on my flashlight, okay? That doesn't look very bright, does it? But anybody who's accidentally turned that on in their face in the middle of a pitch black night knows how bright your cell phone light is, right? In the darkness, it's what? It's bright, but in the light, not so much. And it's good to shine your light in the in, in the light. You know, I mean, it's, it's one of those things to spiritually shine your light. And the light is a good thing when you're with the Christian people, but it's more to be shined in the darkness. But here's what I mean. What we do when we come together with the church, what we're doing as we gather here today is we're making sure that our light is working properly. We're helping our light get brighter. You know, um, sometimes we only want to shine our light in the light, and I, I'm definitely that dad. I'm that dad who goes around turning off what? Every light in the house. Y'all remember that old country song? I'm not a huge country fan, but there's that one country song. Every light in the house is on. That was written by dad. You know it is. Because every stinking light in the house is on. If you got children, I mean, and I got all kinds of children. So they're like inventing light bulbs to turn on. It's amazing. And I'm going around because we don't need so much light in the daytime, you know, and we don't need the light when there's nobody in the room. We need to shine the light where it's needed in the dark. And that's what we have to understand. So we have to use light where it's most needed. But the truth is that even a dim light will shine in the darkness. You know, we talked about that earlier. You know, you turn on your little simple porch light at night and bugs flock to it. They see it from a long ways away. And a, a small light, if it's a, if it's a clear enough night and there's nothing impeding the light, it can be seen from miles and miles and miles. I'll tell you, one of the first times I ever got a true understanding of a city on a hill, you are a city on the hill, like Jesus said, was one of my first trips to uh, Niños to Mexico that I mentioned earlier. You can go up on the roof of one of the houses and you're up pretty high and you look and you're surrounded by mountains. You're in a valley and you look and you see just nothing but tons of twinkling little lights, little houses and cities all around you. And it's one of the most breathtaking things in the world. And when I walked up there, I was sort of like my breath was literally kind of taken. I was like, oh, I see Jesus. I see what you're saying. You are a city on a hill. Shine your light. And man, you can see that for miles and miles and miles. And it's a beautiful thing to see a city shining on a hill. Now, I, I'll be honest. Um, I, I grew up, you know, I grew up in church. I, I went a long way from it for a long time. But I always heard about, you know, put your light under a bushel. No. You know, and I was like, no. You know, we don't do that. They taught you to sing that as a kid. And I was always like, what in the world does that mean? Why would you put your light under a bushel basket? And for those of you that ain't country like me, a bushel basket is a... A basket that you're picking any kind of fruit or vegetable you can put, mm -hmm. it's a bushel, right? So you got this basket. Why would you put a light under a, a bushel? It doesn't make any sense. That's the point he's making. What he's saying is when you had only those 
oil candles to light your house. You might have 10 candles on your house and you only have about 40 watts worth of light. So what do you have to do? You have to get that light up off the ground where it can reach as much of the room as possible. And so if you're wealthy, you had candle stands and you'd set your candles or your, your lights up on the, the stands and they would get it up high so you could see all around the room. But if you didn't have a lot of money, you take your basket that you used to pick whatever fruit or crop you pick, you flip it upside down and you put your light on top of that to get it a little bit higher so that you can see more light in the room. And so what he's saying is, what you do is you elevate the light so more people can see it. You never try to hide your light, right? Amen. But what do we do with our spiritual light sometimes? Hmm. Instead of elevating it, we try to keep it crops down and we try to cover it up and we're like I'm going to let it peek out. Here it is on Sunday and we're like spiritual flashers. <laughs> you know? I probably shouldn't say that. But anyway, I, I don't have very much of a filter. But you're like, hey, here's my light, you know? And then we hide it again when we go back out in the world. And that's, what, that's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to shine our light. And so, here's the thing. When you think of a modern light, when you think of a modern light, there's not a lot that you do. Okay? This one, I wasn't doing that to be cool. I just don't have two hands. Um, but this light, when you open it like that, it turns on. And the batteries will run forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And it's an amazing thing. But so when we talk about lights and what it means to be a light for Jesus, it doesn't make a lot of sense to us. Here's what would happen with those oil lamps that they would shine. You have to keep your lamp filled. And you have to continually be checking on your wick to trim it, to make sure it's right. And you're like, what in the world? I, just, I don't even like changing batteries. But this is what you had to do for light. You had to keep oil in the lamp so that it could burn, you could have light. And you had to trim the wick. Now here's why trimming a wick is important. Listen to this, see if you catch this. A trimmed wick makes for a clean burn. It makes for a brighter light. It makes for a clean and bright light. Untrimmed wicks, if you ever seen like those old like kerosene lamps and the wick starts to fan out, it begins to look like a mushroom. That's because it hasn't been tr uh, trimmed properly and it dulls and obscures the flame. You catch the lesson there? You catch what, you know, Jesus would be teaching by that? He's saying, you know, trim your wick so that your light will, will shine brightly. Shine brightly so other people can see. And listen to this, Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 through 16. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Jesus said, or Paul says through here, he says to the church of Philippi, he says, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you can be blameless and pure children of God that your light will shine brightly if you want your light to shine brightly if you want to keep your wick trimmed if you want to keep your lamp full then first stop complaining stop arguing evidently that was a problem I don't know how that stopped it doesn't, that doesn't happen in life anymore does it people don't complain or anything right? Um, but no we, we struggle with it we struggle with complaining and arguing we need to stop it because our bright light will fade and grow dim and he says, as you hold on to the word of life, you've got to be grounded in the word of God if your light's going to shine bright. One last thing. Why? Why shine a light? So we've got our, our, um, our who, our where, our how we shine our light, but why? Verse 16 said it very clearly in, in Matthew 5. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works 
and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. If you want people to see the glory of God, then you got to shine your light. You know, that's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We're going to do that in just a moment. If you didn't get the emblems, we've got them over at a table. Somebody may have brought some over. But we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper because it reminds us to give glory and honor to God. And it reminds us that Jesus made the greatest sacrifice, the, the first sacrifice, and the sacrifice that was enough. And it reminds us to keep shining our light for him because he did so much for us and he calls us to shine our light. I want to show you one more thing before we take communion. So this light. I showed you earlier. Really cool light I got for Christmas. And in the light, it doesn't really do a whole lot. But when you just simply pull it apart, the light comes on. And looking at it right now, you're thinking, oh, that's not too impressive. But I'm telling you, if you're in moderate light to dark, it will blind you to no end. It is a super bright light. But here's the thing. I realize that you can also learn a lesson from modern lights as well. It's not just the old-timey lights that you can learn a lesson from. Because what happens, all you have to do is sort of stretch this light and put pressure on it. And what does it do? It shines. That's a lot like you and I, right? Until we have pressure put on us to pull it apart and stretch us a little bit, we're not really going to shine. And sometimes, you know, when your wrist breaks, when you're doing something supposed to be fun, riding a bike, <laughs> or there's more bills than there is money at the end of the month, or the report comes back from the doctor that's not so good, or fill in the blank with something that you feel like is going to crush you and you can't go on anymore, you've got to realize that a little bit of pressure, a little bit of stretching will only make your light shine brighter if you fix your eyes on Jesus. Amen, amen. And we've got something to celebrate in the, the Lord's Supper, the broken body and the spilled blood of Jesus. So the band's going to come and they're going to play a little bit of music and you guys take communion as you're ready. I'm going to pray for us and you take it when you're ready and then join in and singing and we'll wrap things up. But remember that if you're called to sacrifice and if it, it hurts to shine your light sometimes, Jesus has hurt more. Jesus has paid more of a price. And that's what we're remembering as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Let's pray.